Let's open up to Psalm 80. Psalm 80, page 490. Deep in the heart of all God's people, and I believe deep in the heart of people as a whole, is this, I believe, a deep longing for restoration, to be restored. Uh, There's a sense that in all of our hearts that not everything is the way it is supposed to be. If you look around in in your relationships, in your friendships, in your workplace, in the world today, there is this deep sense that something is not right, and there is a deep yearning to be restored, for marriages to be restored, for relationships to be restored. We yearn to be made new in our relationships, renewed in the circumstances in our life. We long to be renewed in our physical circumstances. We long for restoration. This longing, I believe, is especially strong during this time, this season of the year. As there's maybe added tensions and anxieties about relationships. You know, you got Thanksgiving and then all of a sudden, boom, you got Christmas. And there's so much crunched together. There's financially, things are crunched together. Emotionally, relationally, relationally, everything is crunched together. Come and restore us and make all things right. It's kind of the the cry of our heart. Come, Lord Jesus, come. It's the cry of the church. Make our lives and relationships the way that things are supposed to be. Make our relationship with you the way it's supposed to be. So Psalm 80 really is a, a good place for us to start, to begin our focus, because it speaks very clearly about the human longing for restoration. It's possible that, even for us, that most of the time in our Western affluent society, we can kind of push this longing into the background. If we just do a little bit more of this or we buy a little bit more of this, we can kind of push that into the background. But the reality is that soon enough, circumstances will bring it and bubble it back up to the top. Things are not the way they should be. We sometimes experience, even in this time, a sense that God is very far off. Is it true with you? In this, these desires that we have, it seems like, God, where, where in the world are you? You look at Israel and Palestine, and all that was going on, and you're going, God, where are you in that? You look at broken relationships, broken marriages, the tension that's found in these places, and you go, God, where are you in these times? It seems like the heavens are closed and our prayers are just basically bouncing off the ceiling. It seems like God is not listening and he doesn't even seem to care. And in fact, we can see all throughout history, biblical history and our own history, of God's people all experiencing times like this. And that's what Psalm 80 is all about. The heavens seem to be shut. It's quiet. It's like there's a huge bank of black clouds that have come and closed heaven, and God is not accessible, and there's no light that is shining through. So maybe this is true for you this morning. And maybe it's true to recognize that and be honest about that. Maybe you have a deep desire to see restoration, true restoration, 
holistic restoration take place in your marriage, take place in your dating life or lack of dating life, with your children, no matter what age or where they are in their life, you desire to see some kind of restoration taking place with your children, with your parents or a parent or a relative. Maybe it's even within the church. You desire to see restoration, wholeness brought back into the church. Maybe you're just sensing that things just are not right with you and God. If we could be honest with that for a moment, maybe we could take that next step. Or maybe, just maybe, you have a deep, deep longing, deep within yourself for some kind of restoration. And you just, you can't even begin to describe what it is, where it is, and what that's all about. Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, in his book called The Living Message, Daily Help for Living the God-Centered Life, points out that a lot of what people call hope is really not hope at all. It's really something totally different. It's wishing, not hoping. And wishing and hoping are not the same thing. Wishing, Peterson says, is something all of us do. It projects what we want or what we think we need into the future. Just because we wish for something good or holy, we think it qualifies as hope. It does not. Wishing extends our egos into the future. Wishing extends our egos into the future. Hope grows out of our faith. Hope is oriented toward what God is doing. Wishing is oriented toward what we are doing. Peterson goes on to say that we can picture wishing as though it were a line coming out of us with an arrow at the end pointing into the future, pointing towards what we want to possess. That's wishing. Hope is just the opposite. It's a line coming from God out of the future with its arrow pointed towards us. Hope. He says this, and you can put it, it's probably, yep, it's up there already. First slide. Hope, he continues, means being surprised. Because we don't know what is best for us or how our lives are going to be completed. That's hope. To cultivate hope is to suppress wishing. To refuse to fantasize about what we want, but to live in anticipation of what God is going to do next. Suppress wish wishing. I wish that I could just have, that we could just have. That's wishing. And it also leads to a self-centered world, doesn't it? I wish I could just have. I wish my marriage could just be this. I wish our relationship. I wish our finances. I wish this could just be right. Hope is living in anticipation that God is going to surprise us because of his promises of his character trusting that everything that he gives us is best for us so advent starts the beginning of a new calendar year and i love new beginnings 
And maybe it's good that we have these new beginnings even before we get into Christmas. Starting with a new sheet of paper before us. New beginnings afford us an opportunity to analyze our past and to make course corrections for the future. It brings into focus especially the coming of Jesus Christ, a babe to Jerusalem and a king for his people. Advent is a time for us to draw near to God, a time to restore and a time to be restored. That's what Advent is about. So let's read together. Follow along with me. Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come save us. Restore us, O God. Let your light shine that we might be saved. O Lord of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayer? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You have made us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sends out its branches to the seas and shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that, that your right hand planted, and for the Son whom you made strong for us. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the Son of Man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back. Then we sh- shall we not turn back to you from you? Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. So a little bit of background. Scholars believe that the reference to Israel, Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh suggest a huge amount of lament. Just grief-stricken wailing. These are some of the laments that are found in, in the Psalms, lament Psalms, where they are just heavy. There's a, a real crying out, a real gut-wrenching crying out. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had those moments in your life where you have had gut-wrenching just crying out to God. I, and I mean not just, oh, God, help me with this, but tears crying out to God, just a realistic, this, this is painful, this is awful, that I don't get this. This is where Israel is now. 
just a gut-wrenching, grief-stricken wailing. They have been ravaged by a, a foreign country coming in, and they are seeking God's restorative power. They want to be made whole again. A quick read of this might lead us to say, man, the, these people are in just total, utter despair, in which the people are crying out to God, and there's no hope for them. Fortunately, if you do a careful reading, you can see a fascinating plea for restoration based in hope. Hope, not just a wishful fantasy. There's different parts in here. This, this whole psalm moves, has this beautiful movement, like any great, uh, I think about Handel's Messiah. If you listen, Handel's Messiah, some of us just think about that, and he shall reign. There is a whole movement that tells a whole story. And there's a whole story here in this psalm. There's an invocation and just a petition in verses 1 through 3. There's their lament in 4 through 7. They're just pouring it out and just lamenting. 8 through 11, they're, they're reciting God's saving work, his, his acts that he has done already. 12 through 16 is just describing their current condition. And then finally... There's their petitions and their vow. Their vow. The, and there's this reoccurring theme. I don't know if you picked it up. A, a, a chorus that defines its tone. Restore us. Restore us, O oh God. Let your faith face shine that we might be saved. Restore us. Again, restore us, O oh God. We've got that three times here. We've got to remember that hope is oriented toward what God is doing. Even when it seems dark and miserable and not the way that we want. Hope is oriented towards what God is doing. We must choose hope in every circumstance. So Israel is, is coming before God. They're saying in the first section, in this invocation, in their petition... Give us ears, God. Give ears to us. Hear us. You who lead, you, you who are enthroned, they are calling upon God, acknowledging Him as, as the Almighty, as their protector and their leader. You who lead, you are our shepherd. It echoes Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You are our shepherd. You are, you are enthroned in heaven. Give us ears. Do you hear the deep relationship that they have in the midst of the pain? Lord, you are our shepherd. In the midst of this pain, in the midst of this ugliness, as, as these foreign nations, as Assyria is coming down and ravaging our lives, you are our shepherd. You are our king, our protector. Give us ears. And then he does this, let your face shine on us. Stir up your might and come save us. How can they even pray this? Because there's a deep knowledge of God and his character. 
As people of God, we have one advantage over the people of this world who don't yet have Christ. We know the character of the one who has saved us, right? In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your your deep desires to have things restored, we can pray real prayers. God, listen. God, listen to us. Listen to me. You are this. You are this. You are this. I've seen it in my life. You're my great shepherd. You're my protector. You're the king over all the earth. Nations cringe when your voice is heard. You are my shepherd. You're personal. I know your character, God. I know your strength. Let your face shine. This comes from uh, this blessing that you receive every day as you leave here. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The author knew that that blessing very well. May God your face shine upon me. In the midst of all this, Lord, I want to desire you. Restore us, God. Let your face shine. But there's still a lament that's coming. So recognizing who God is, there's a deep lament. And sometimes, as Christians, we put on the happy face. You know what I'm talking about? Even some of you put on the happy face as you come in here. It's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. And life at home is hell. Or it is an absolute mess. But you do. Hey, it's great to see you. How are things going? Good, good. If you only knew. But the people of Israel, the, the writer of this, this psalm, does a deep lament. A deep lament. He says, you know, God, look at me. Four through seven. How long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You, look how he describes in verse five. You fed us with bread of tears. Our only sustenance seems to be tears and mourning. You have give, what have you given us to drink? Tears again. I am absolutely broken, and the only thing that is sur- making me survive is just these tears that you give me. Deep, deep pain. And they're lamenting God's, what seems to be God's punishment. Their sins demand punishment, yet they cannot bear their feelings of separation from God. How long will you be angry? You fed us with bread of tears. You made us the object of condemnation of our our neighbors. Our neighbors, our enemies just laugh at us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine upon us that we might be saved. So even in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our whatever is going on in your circumstances, it's okay to lament. It's okay to have these prayers of, God, this place that I'm at right now is awful. And I'm going to use real words in real prayers to a real God whose shoulders are big enough to handle them. I remember when I was in high, doing high school ministry and talking about that you can have these kind of prayers and people are going, oh no, you can't talk to God that way. 
You're like angry. What is that saying about our God? He desires to hear our prayers. He desires to hear our lament. And I think he would much rather hear those than our Sunday faces. And he's just going, Lord, this is awful. And God is going, my shoulders are big enough. But then, quickly, he moves into this third act, reciting God's saving act, God's saving act, saving acts. And this is a very important thing of reminding ourselves, this is who God is, this is where I'm at. But somewhere in the midst of this and this, God has moved. And I need to remind myself of God's faithfulness. And what do they do? They quickly go back to the Exodus. A a real touchstone for Israel. They can constantly go back. They're constantly going back saying, this is the standard by which everything is judged. Here they remember God saving, saving acts throughout all of history. He saved them from their bondage. Okay, go back to what happened in Egypt. They were slaves, literally slaves, held down in Egypt. Let my people go. Let my people go. How many times did Moses have to say that? And time and time again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, hardened and hardened, and they stayed in bondage. In fact, it only got worse each time that Moses went back and said, let my people go. Oh, no, now you go get your own straw to make the bricks. You go and same amount of work. The slave, they were in bondage. They were saved from the powers of nations far stronger than them. You see them coming out of Egypt. They're standing at the Red Sea. And what happened? They saw a cloud of dust coming. And how did God save them? The sea opened up. And they walked through on dry ground. A nation far greater than them that were coming on horses and chariots were coming after them. They came into the promised land. And how did they come into the promised land? Oh, man. They came through knocking down Jericho just by marching around. Nations far greater than them. God saved them. They were saved from being homeless as God planted them in the promised land. He saved them from poverty And God allowed them to flourish in the land of milk and honey. Reading these verses, for me, also brings a meaning to the commandments found in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. Let me just read that to you. Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Okay, we know that. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you, when you rise. You shall bind them on a sign on your hand and they shall be... As frontlets between your eyes, you shall write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates. There is this constant talking about God's desire for his people and God's promises. 
We need to be, as we have children in our church, as we talk to one another, what are we doing? We're constantly talking, reminding each other. Okay, remember God's promises? It might be rough right now, but do you remember when? Do you remember when God brought you through? When God provided in this way? Do you remember when he did this? Do you remember how? Yeah, that's right. God's saving hand is upon us. Remember. Remember. And then they go to their description of their, their current condition. Why have you broken down our walls? It's almost a rhetorical question. Israel is deeply aware of its sin. There's no confession. Perhaps it's so obvious that it doesn't need to be repeated. Why have you broken down our walls? I know, I know. Turn again. Return to us. Suggest a desperation. A real desperation of the people who feel utter separation from God. They refer to themselves as as a vine or a root that's planted by God's right hand. The son he himself raised up. And this vine has been cut down, burned with fire. The people perish. Notice, they don't perish at the hands of their enemies. But they're perishing at God's rebuke. Fantasizing. It's fantasizing. Fascinating. Fascinating. That's not the circumstances of our life that causes us to melt. It's really our separation from God. How do we be honest in our recognition of our current condition? Do we even have eyes? Or uh, as C.S. Lewis describes it, do we even have a a nose to our own inner cesspool? Can, Can you even smell the stench of the sin that's in your life, your own personal spiritual condition? And can you say, Lord, this is my condition. Why are the walls broken down? I know my sin it's my stuff right here but then they move into this last movement where he just says let your hand be on rest upon us let your hand be upon us give us life and and we will call upon your name restore us O God of hosts restore us Revive me. Revive us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine upon us and save us. Do you hear the hope? Not just wishful thinking, but just a hope. God, I know who you are. I know your promises are coming towards me. Restore me. Restore me. Their petition and their vow was not just based on some wishful fantasy. It's based on their hope that comes from their knowledge of God. They have been near to him before, and they know what he has done in their midst. God, I I love even the picture of the tabernacle. God's very presence in their midst. A fire by night, a cloud by day, experienced his his presence with the parting of the sea 
the destruction of enemies. They've experienced his character. They've experienced his holiness. They've seen him on the mountaintop where there was great rumbling. There was fear of even approaching him. They have experienced him. But yet, this right, and they were far from him. Feeling with anxiety with their circumstances, yet they approach God in hope. Living in anticipation, living, anticipating what he is going to be doing. What's he going to do? And that is a central theme of Psalm 80, the restoration of hope. It's a model for us today. Advent is is a time, a a season for the church, this season for you to to grow near to God. A time to be restored and to restore. That's what this season is about. It's anticipating, hoping for Christ. The early people were hoping for Christ's first coming. And He has appeared marvelously. And we are even anticipating this season, His second coming. It's a time to restore relationships that have been damaged. To restore communication where those lines of communication have absolutely been destroyed. To restore friendships and love where other things have prospered. It's a time to grow in our spiritual life as we await the full coming of Christ. The full reign. His full reign. We're living in this his, he's present, but he's not yet. The coming, the full coming. But we've got, and we've got to remember during this time that the future is bright. Very bright. We have hope beyond our wildest wishes, our wildest dreams. We cannot waste our time wishing that things will be better. Man, I just, my deep desires, I wish. And I selfishly want this for me. Invest your hope in what God has already planned for you. But there's got to be a one final word. For that was for those of us who are in Christ. That are, we need to be hoping trusting in God's full character, that he is going to restore our circumstances, that we are going to be restored, that we are going to be made right. But there's this word for those who are feeling deep pangs or desires for restoration, and you have tried absolutely everything that the world has to offer. You have tried relationships If I just get married, if I just get into this relationship, if I get closer to this person, if I just do this, it will be good. Maybe if I just try to work harder at work and make myself a small fortune so that I can retire and then sometime I can leave the worries of this world behind and I can just walk the the Gulf of Mexico with white sand between my toes and pick up seashells. If I just work hard, I can get that. Maybe if, maybe if I could just drown my sorrows and my pain in alcohol. Just 
or, or drugs. It's just something to take off the edge of my life. Because this is just awful. I just, this will numb me to the, the reality. Maybe it's sex. If I would just have this experience with this person. And maybe we could more fully be connected. Or I can feel in control because we're having this sexual experience together. Maybe, maybe I could pour all my hope in conquering that mountain. Or maybe, just maybe, it's even religion. If I just attend enough. If I just do this activity then maybe I can be, feel whole. You've tried everything the world has offered to be fully restored, to be made whole, but you need to know. You need to know that is not something, that wholeness is not something that you can achieve. The Bible tells us that without Christ, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are dead. Death has hopelessness. Apart from Christ, we are dead. We're hopeless. Wish all you may for a whole life. Read every self-help book that you can find. Watch Oprah, Dr. Phil. They might give you a little bit of a band-aid. Ultimately, without Christ, you are lifeless and incapable of true life. Romans, or uh, sorry, Spurgeon says this. I love how he says this. We cannot be saved except by turning from the ways of sin into a path of holiness. We can't be saved from the ways of sin except by turning into the path of holiness. But who shall turn us? What power can reverse the current of the human soul? As well might Niagara begin to ascend of its own accord as for man to turn to God, except as God turns him. There's nothing you can do on your own but receive the free gift of grace. Niagara can't reverse its own direction. Impossible. You cannot revive yourself by reading enough self-help books. You cannot revive yourself by having enough relationships or even enough religion. If, you, if it's true of you, this is where you're at. If you have not received God's free gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ, your first step is much like Israel. You need to lament by recognizing that you are a sinner, that you are dead, and you are in need of true hope. Recognizing that you're a sinner but also the hope is found in Christ by his perfect shed complete blood he has saved you by his grace
Nothing that you can do. There's no boasting in what you have done. You did not turn back the, the Niagara of your own life. It's impossible. If that is true for you, receive his grace. Recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe that. Believe that, and you will understand this text from Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Through Him we have obtained faith into grace in which we stand and look at this last line and we rejoice in the hope the hope of the glory of God turn to him receive him all of us brothers and sisters in Christ turn to him receive his grace recognize his his work in your life recognize the condition of your soul and turn to him and say god in you and you alone do i hope for you alone are good you alone are the one that i need this world offers nothing in comparison to you Hope is oriented towards what God is doing. Wishing is oriented towards what we are doing. Choose hope. Hope is living in anticipation of what God is going to do next. Amen. Father God, uh, we first recognize that you are our shepherd. You are our leader. You are the king who is enthroned. You are high and lifted up. God, we recognize that this morning. And God, our cry this morning is to stir up your might and come save us. Restore us, God, this morning. Some of us have put on our best Sunday morning face. We've left our lament at home, but yet our souls are aching. God, stir up our heart this morning to worship you more fully, to enjoy you more fully, to depend on you more fully. We confess this morning that we have so missed the mark. So Father, I thank you that you are faithful even when we're not. Work in us this morning, God, as we come even to this table to enjoy you to be fed by you
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to this table week after week, we know, I know, that the Lord is feeding us. And we should take note of all the different ways. Scripture talks about the, our being fed by Him. There's a famous passage at the end of, of John where Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. And much attention is paid, on, paid to the different ways that love is being, being used there. But not much attention is being paid to the fact that Jesus is saying something about being fed. After Peter answers the Lord affirmatively in the first time, the Lord responds, feed my lambs. The last two times, he tells Peter to feed my sheep. But the first time is, feed my lambs. It's been often pointed out that uh, being sheep is not the most flattering thing in the world. They're not the smartest critters out there. They're easily lost. They could even starve themselves to death. They don't naturally go looking for food unless it's put right in front of them. They are not the super, superheroes in the kingdom of God, especially in the animal kingdom, but animals are the weak version of superheroes. And Jesus tells Peter to feed my lambs. This means that Jesus has lambs. And it means that they are to receive food. It also means that the food we receive is all grace. It's not anything that we've achieved on our own. It's not a best of show ribbon. You're here this morning and perhaps you feel your own weakness, your own inadequacy. Perhaps this morning you might even feel it very acutely. Jesus did not come to this earth for those who have their act together because those are people who are non-existent. He traveled through the land seeking out the weak and the diseased. He's the great healer, not the giver of gold medals. There will come a time in our redemptive history where he does say, well done, good and faithful servant. That does happen, and we should yearn for that. But he does not say that to us yet. That's a time that's coming. What does he say to us now? He says to us, take and eat. Remember and believe. Take and eat. Remember and believe. He says, take and drink. So we come to this table being fed. Being fed by Christ. Being fed by His grace. Being fed by the gospel. Our hope for a future. We don't come as perfect people because we're lambs. We're not superheroes. So this table is open to all who have believed in their heart and confessed with their believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he was risen from the dead. 
It's simple. And all who have made that confession and been baptized, this meal is open to you to be fed by the great feeder, the great healer, and the hope of Israel. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of blessing and poured it out saying, this is my blood in the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Those who are serving, please come forward. also our time of giving for our Advent conspiracy, opportunity to give for benevolence. As we have received, so we have given. Come, come, and welcome to the table.